0: from the New York City area. Welcome to the Badass Counseling Show, where the master badass himself, Sven Erlinson, takes you deep and gives balm for the soul, baby.
1: And a big hello to everyone tuning in today. It's great to have you here on the Badass Counseling Show. We're in the New York City area and the skies are overcast today, but there are smiles in the studio. Casey has a big shit-eaten grin on her face because she played a practical joke on Rob and me earlier, um, which I can't say on the air. I could, but I'm not going to.
2: And Rob is sitting right here next to me. What do you say for yourself today, Rob? Hey, I'm doing fine, thanks. I I looked ahead at our guest paragraph, though, and uh, buckle up is all I can say. (laughs) rob i i have to apologize
1: that i came in you are my sound expert uh i came in today with a bit of a frog
2: in my throat and uh how are you going to deal with that there's just only so much i can do sven i can't rewrite the laws of physics or audio and have, have you had your first winter cold yet rob uh, a little while ago yeah after uh two years of never getting anything happily masked Now wow. it comes back they, wow. all come ba- they all come back they all come back well, I've, I've been taking lozenges and it's, it's yeah. every
1: time I take lozenges, it. what are you laughing about? They're
2: not working.
1: Well, there's that. But then Karen, my girlfriend, she's always, we ha- we always have a flight every time I, you know, I take out lozenges because she says, are you going to take a lozenger? And I'm like, I don't know what a lozenger
2: is. That's, she grew up in the Bronx. That's yeah, Bronx that's for a, a lozenge. That's a Bronx accent and, or Long Island. Take your pick.
1: And, but then she'll say, but so you don't pronounce the R at the end of the word? I said, Karen, there's no R at the end of lozenge. It's lozenge. It just doesn't make sense to her. The English language. I love my Bronx people. Anyway, so you are dealing with Sven with a frog in his throat. It's great to have you here. Whether you are checking in from South Africa or Adelaide or uh, Birmingham or wherever it might be. And especially my friends up in Canada and Houston, Texas. It's great to have you here on the show, Rob, go ahead and get us going. Tell us about Rebecca.
2: Here we go. Rebecca says at nine months old, I was placed in foster care due to my biological dad, molesting my sister and abusing my special needs brother. My three siblings and I were placed in different foster homes. I lived with my foster family until I was five. I thought that was my family. My bio mom remarried and I was ripped from my home to be sent to live with her. I was abused, molested repeatedly, and bio mom repeatedly told me, who do you think you are, Princess Diana? You know better than me or anybody else. She sold my belongings in a yard sale, chopped off my hair, and when others would say I was pretty, she'd say, I know, it makes me sick. Her new husband molested me when I was 10 and she asked me what I did to make him do that. She dropped the charge that my foster mother pressed. Bio mom charged the foster mom $100 to let me spend weekends with her now and then, over a period of seven years. My siblings had all left when I was 12. Sister got pregnant, special needs brother put in a home, and the other brother in juvenile hall. I showed the school my bruises, and CPS came out. My bio mom snowed them, then beat the shit out of me when they left. I was able to go home to my foster mother... At 14 years old, foster dad died and foster mother became the raging alcoholic. She beat the shit out of me and threw me out onto the street. I bounced around homeless, stayed with friends until their fathers tried to molest me, and then I'd run. Stayed with my sister briefly, found out her first baby was bio mom's husband's, and then it was a miscarriage. Sister threw me out for skipping school one time. Survival modes, feeling I never mattered, several suicidal plans, inability to trust, faking my way through life, being everyone else's girl to survive, but went to college, started working in the mental health field, single mom, raised a great daughter, but still struggling to wrap my head around any success and feel like I have a solid sense of self. Who am I? Rebecca, welcome to the show.
3: Thank you. It's good to be here.
2: I got to say,
1: wow. Wow. Yeah. Can I ask how old you are, Rebecca?
3: I am turning 50 in May.
1: 50 years old. How the hell have you made it? I mean, you crawled out of a swamp and you have raised a great daughter and you have gone to college and started working in the mental health field and made a life for yourself after crawling out of extraordinarily difficult situation. How did you do it?
3: I really don't know. I I feel like, I feel like I was intrinsically born with this bounce back, like the old weeble wobbles. Mm. I hit them and they just don't fall down. I I jump out of bed every morning with this positive outlook, yesterday's gone. Let's look forward to something. Um, Yeah, but it's lonely. It's very lonely. I feel lonely. What's the
1: loneliest part about being a weeble wobble and having come out of the swamp?
3: (laughs) Um, Just feeling like I don't matter to anybody unless I can do something for them or give them something. Mm. Um, Feeling like I can pour all the love in the world into everybody else's love cup, but they don't pour it back into mine. Mm. And I've always had this attitude since I was a little kid I don't know where this came from, but I felt like my mission in life was to pour love into people that let them feel loved. Let them let everybody that you meet,
1: let them feel loved. You say, I don't know why, but why do you think you developed that or uh, took on that uh, as a child? Where do they, where do you think that came from?
3: My imagination <laughs> because I didn't have that in my environments and I think I dreamed it up. Like this is how it should be. Exactly. You know,
1: you've been living the life you didn't get it. And so I'm going to be that instrument in the world. I'm going to bring the love to the world that I think it should be, you know, that we've all, you know, Mm -hmm. heard the quote and it's overplayed, but it's beautiful. And that is be the change you most want to see in the world. And you've been doing it for 50 fucking years.
0: Yeah.
1: Despite the swamp, but the price, the price has been, what is the real price? The loneliness, is it the emptiness, not knowing who I am? Is it, I just want to be dead? What is the real price of being that instrument of love despite that morass of shit that you came from?
3: <laughs> I have butterflies in my stomach right now. Like not good. not the good kind. Why is that? Tell me. Because it just feels empty. I feel like I have nothing left for me. Like, like I give a piece of my soul away to everybody. And then I look in the mirror and I'm mm. this ghost.
1: Mm. <laughs> um, I want to ask you a seemingly unrelated question. and It's simply this. Are, is your biological mother still alive?
3: She is. She has uh, severe dementia. She's in a home somewhere in the South. How old is she? She's around 76 years old at this time.
1: 76. And, uh, and your foster mom, is she still alive? And if so, what's her age?
3: She's deceased. She died right before I turned thirty.
1: I'm going to ask you uh, a few questions. Okay, Okay. I'm going to cycle, sort of cycle you through a few questions. We'll sort of hit them back and forth. It's like we're we got a couple of cheap tennis rackets and a crappy old tennis ball. And we're down at the middle school with their tennis net and it sags. And we got it. We each got a can of Foster's lager and it's 10 in the morning on a Saturday. <laughs> nice. We're just hitting a fucking, yeah. Right. <laughs> and we're just hitting a ball back and forth. That's all we're doing here is just hitting a ball back and forth. Okay. Um, All right. And so the first question I want to ask you and, and listen closely. And again, I need you to understand one thing. And that is there is no, Expectation of action. All of this is non actionable. Okay. We're just talking. Okay. 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 That being said, what is the single biggest truth that you have never spoken to your mother about your mother? Not about you, not about how you feel or how she makes you feel, about your mother. Single biggest truth you've never spoken to your mother about your mother or a big truth?
3: I want to be loved and I hate you.
1: okay i want to be loved and i hate you now truth is neither of those is a statement about her so i'm going to save those statements and we'll come back to those but i want you to answer the question as it stands and that is single biggest truth about her you failed you failed okay what else
3: you're evil you're evil You're ugly on the inside.
1: Hmm. What ultimately, whether it was one act or a consistent theme, what ultimately was the single biggest crime that your mother committed against you? What really is her crime? What does it boil down to?
3: Not protecting us, falling in dick sand all the time and abandoning her kids, you know? Neglecting us completely.
1: Neglect. Okay. And also I have to believe, I mean, cause there's that element where she's just fucking cruel. It's not even that she's not protecting, which is awful because that's, I mean, that's at the core of Maslow's hierarchy is the warmth and the protection, yeah. but the, the just deliberate attempts to bring harm. I mean, that's just, that's just abuse. No matter how you slice Absolutely. it. saying that shit, you know, and telling you, yeah, she's pretty. Yeah. I know. It makes me sick. That my daughter is, it's just like shit like that. It's like, you fucking bitch. Yeah. Okay. So you failed. You're evil. You're ugly on the inside. Anything else?
3: You had no business having children.
1: Hmm. In your estimation, just out of curiosity, what percent was your mother a good parent? And what percent was your mother a bad parent?
3: <laughs> I would say a hundred percent shit. Zero mm. percent uh, good. Okay. I don't remember ever feeling loved or connected to her in any way.
1: Wow. All right. So of the things that you've told me for the single biggest truth, you've never spoken to your mother. You've said you failed, you're evil, you're ugly on the inside, you had no business having kids, and you've now just said that you are a shit mom. Mm-hmm. Of all of those, for you, which is the biggest?
3: Mm. I would say you're evil.
1: And I have to be honest with you on that, uh, That may or may not matter to you, but I think every single one of our listeners pretty much 100% fucking agrees with you on that one. I mean, you get a, you get a loud cheer from the audience on that one because yeah. Okay. Second question is this, what is the single biggest truth about how you feel towards your mother that you've never spoken to your mother?
3: I did speak it to her once. Go ahead. Wrote her a 12 page letter And the the single biggest truth was, why the fuck didn't you protect me when your husband did what he did when I was 10? Why would you turn around and tell me it's my fault and ask me what I did to make him do that? And then when the police officers came and asked my 10-year-old self, did he penetrate you? Did he ejaculate? Those kind of questions. I didn't know what they were talking about. They had to break it down, dumb it down for me as a kid. And uh, it was humiliating. It was scary. And then for her to walk out and say, I want to drop the charges. Just, wow. and I just, in that moment, my soul just fucking sank. And I thought, you devil woman, you're horrible. Like, and then she invited him back to help us
1: pack. Did you think that about her at the time? Or is that adult Rebecca uh, infusing that with meaning? Accurate meaning, don't get me wrong. But did is that you said your your heart sank your soul sank uh, you devil woman you thought did you think that at the time or what did you think or feel at the time and maybe it was that okay I'm just curious
3: uh, as an adult I look back and think that as a as a ten year old girl I was terrified I was terrified uh, it 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 made me develop this extreme anxiety and panic and almost OCD you know I I had to do something. To, to distract from all the thoughts. Cause I was thinking, Oh my God, he's going to kill me. Oh my God. She's going to let him come back. He's going to do it again. Oh no, she doesn't care about me. Nobody cares about me. And I, I, I uh, actually took all my toys. We lived in a trailer park. I took all my toys to the edge of the driveway to, to have a yard sale. And, um, that's, I learned from her, have a yard sale, gather some money. And I thought I could get a bus ticket and go anywhere and then this blue bus pulled up and it, there were a whole bunch of people on it. And they said, are you going? And I was sitting there barefoot and I said, fuck yeah, I'm going. As, as a kid, I was like, yeah, I'm going. And I jumped on the bus. I didn't know where I was going, but they took me to church. And it was it was one of those Southern Baptist churches. Man, what an experience. Um, So I thought they said, who wants to be saved? I said, I do, I do, I do. And I ran to the front and I prayed so hard. I was like, God, get me out of here. Get me out of here, please. And then I was expecting literally with my little brain for Jesus to fly in, swoop in, pull me out of there and say, you're loved. It's okay. And it didn't happen. And I thought, even God hates me. Oh my God. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. that was rough. And nobody missed me when I was gone. The bus dropped me back off. Nobody missed me when I was gone. Nobody knew I mm. went anywhere. Mm. I could have been kidnapped by Jeffrey Dahmer. They wouldn't have cared.
1: Wow. And so and so, in that whole experience that you just described of mom invalidating your experience of you having been penetrated and raped and so forth as a 10-year-old, it, what, the underlying message is is obviously you don't matter. Obviously you're insignificant. My needs matter more than yours. You don't, you basically don't exist. I don't care. And the sinking feeling and the anxiety that came afterwards that of course is I'm literally not safe anywhere. Yeah. I'm not safe.
3: Yeah.
1: Right. Yeah. And and then as further confirmation that the story, while it is kind of a fun little story, the bus story your, your your message even God hates me, and even God can't save me
0: mm-hmm.
1: And there's a, there's an interesting word in the English language and it has a fascinating Latin root. and the word is inexorable. and if we break it apart, uh, the able at the end means able. in at the beginning means not. X means out and aura pray. A situation so bad I can't even pray my way out of it. Yeah. It's inexorable. Your situation was even God can't help me. That since you've been a child, you had to, you went into survival mode and you've had to save yourself because weren't nobody else coming to save you. Yeah. Was that event at 10 years old a confirmation of what you already knew? Or wait, before before you answer that question. What are you feeling right now? I hear the tears. What are you feeling? Talk to me. The tears are good. Talk to me. What are you feeling right now? I'm sure you've cried over this a million times. Yeah. What are you feeling right now? Talk to me.
3: Um, Just this absolute depth of pain. <laughs> it's painful to feel like you're nothing, like you don't matter. It just hurts. <laughs> it's painful.
1: And so let me ask you, what percentage... For you to be at fifty and and someone who's spent a life in the mental health field, so you get it, all yeah. right. To have tears at fifty over that is good. The, the fact you're letting them out is fantastic. You know that, yeah. But it also says that um, there's still more in there. And so, let me ask you this question: What percentage of your life have you spent running from the sadness, the anger, the feelings, the tears? What percent have you, have you really gone into it? And what percent have you sort of run from it?
3: <laughs> I would say 50, 50. I have, I have done my own personal therapy uh, for years and I've been journaling since I was 11. I actually started writing songs and poetry. Beautiful. And I would observe the adults like a cat in the corner and write. I wonder why that person's so mad all the time. It was always a mm-hmm. fascination. And as soon as I was old enough, I was in the self-help section So I've, Mm -hmm. I've been doing, and then, you know, master's degree in psychology, of course, it's like, wow, wow. Um, but the 50% that I have not, that I keep pushing back, it's because that feeling that I don't matter and that I'm nothing has been fucking reiterated, reiterated, reiterated through horrible relationships all the way up to now. Being used, being um, abused by narcissistic people, um, alcoholics, you know, it's like, you know how they say your soul, your soul is complacent and comfortable with a certain energy that you're used to from childhood. It feels familiar. Oh, yeah. Keep getting drawn to it. Yeah. That's where I'm at. And it's like a moth to the flame. And I'm thinking, how the fuck do I snap this in half and stop?
1: And that's the question we're working on, and we're going to dive further into that. But right now, let's take a quick break. I'll be right back with more Badass Counseling. I counseled with Badass Counseling for about four months, and Sven completely turned my life around. He kicked my butt. No shit. He made me do homework, too, but I was so ready for a change that I just did it all. I'm telling you, he changed my life. Thank you so much, Badass Counseling.
0: This show provides soul counseling intended to entertain and inform and is not medical advice. Now, back to the badass.
1: We are back with Rebecca. This is a woman who has had an incredibly difficult childhood and has survived and powered through, been a source of love for so many people in the world, changed so many lives, and yet she's had so much pain in life. I want to go back to the question, Rebecca. I had asked you, what percent are you running from your pain? What percent of you have addressed it? You said, I've addressed 50%, and I've run from 50%. And I want to know in one sentence or less, Rebecca, what is the single biggest thing in that 50% that you, the 50% you haven't addressed, what is the single biggest thing that terrifies you the fucking most, that you don't want to touch with a 200-foot pole?
3: The idea that maybe everybody's right and I don't fucking matter.
1: Mm. Say, say some more. I'll give you a few more sentences. I, I won't limit you to one. <laughs> the idea that, I, I, that they're right and I don't matter.
3: Because um, so many times throughout my life, I have actually looked at that. Um, and I thought, maybe they're right. Maybe I don't matter. Maybe I'm not worthy of love. You know, I keep having that reiterated time and time again. And I've actually heard my own voice in my head say, just fucking end Mm. it. Just fucking end it. Nobody cares. Mm. Um, And it's lonely. Um, If I admit that's true, how lonely is that? I'm invisible. I'm nothing. How lonely is that? And, and, I fear that black void, that black void that I feel like is inside of me. The the near-death experience, people say, they went into this blackness and before they prayed and God swept them out. Have you ever been in a haunted house where it's pure black, pitch black in that one I can't function. I panic. I'm like, I can't, I can't get me out of here. The clowns and the other crap doesn't scare me, but that black, that void. Mm. Wow. And I feel like that, that is like, that's it for me. Gotcha. If that's true, that's where I'm going. It scares the crap out of me.
1: I understand. I really do. And as you probably know from my stuff, I took myself through a 12-year suicidal depression, literally slit my wrist, you know, in my story. Yeah. So I know it. I know exactly what you're talking about. And just for the record, I fucking hate haunted houses and horror movies, all of them. You've cut yourself. Is that?
3: Oh, um, yeah up and down my arm that that used to be my thing yep. and, and that the last one was too deep and it bled a lot and I was like that's scary oh yeah
1: it is scary I did the long nine inch one the full length of my forearm on each forearm so that void inside the dark black void inside that's what you've been running from all those messages I'm nothing I don't matter all the messages that mm-hmm. got conveyed when you were raped and then raped again and and rejected and spit on by your mother, all of that is what's inside and that's the shit. You've done some, you know, kissed around the edges and well, but you've gone into 50%, but there's that other 50%. And yeah. and that is, and you've heard me say it before, but that grand quote by Joseph Campbell, where he says, the cave you most fear to enter holds the treasure you seek. And the reason yeah. we, we fear to enter it is, well, you've articulated it very well. It's all the feelings that go with it. And isn't it fascinating, just as an aside, that literally you could be sitting in your home with your doors locked and you know unlocked in your safe neighborhood in your safe home with the coffee maker brewing and you know you know there's food in the fridge for dinner maybe i'll make a cauliflower steak you know whatever it is that you're safe and yet the real terror is inside that literally there is no physical insecurity around you you are covered You've paid your ADT bill and your, you know, Mm -hmm. your roof is, doesn't leak. You're safe. And yet those forces inside can be so extraordinarily powerful that I'm terrified. Mm -hmm. I feel unsafe in my own safe home. Isn't that fascinating? The the power of that shit. All right. So I want to go back to, and we're going to sort of table that piece for the moment. The fact that what you fear most in addressing that 50% is the idea that they're right and I don't matter. And that you fear going into that and just letting it finally stopping and letting that tidal wave of all your past and all your feelings finally come over you. The fear that I'll be overwhelmed, the fear that it would destroy me, right? They have fate worse than death. I couldn't handle it, Mm -hmm. right, right. Yeah. And, And I mean, the truth is ultimately... That is the only source of your salvation. That is the only source, self-salvation. That is the only source of you ever becoming happy and finding self is having the courage to go to the very place you most fear to go, even if it's bit by bit, okay? So I wanna go back to where we were. So the single biggest truth about how you feel towards your mother that you've never, you said, well, I did speak it. I spoke it in this, it was a letter, I believe. I spoke it to my mother and so on and so forth, but of all the truths you haven't spoken to your mother about how you feel towards her, what is it? Earlier you had said, I hate you. Did you say that to her in that letter? I did. Okay, what-
3: I told her I've been carrying a sack of boulders on my back Mm. called anger and rage Mm. and torment for years because of you and I'm setting it down. Mm. I I forgive you, not for you, but for me, because I can't carry this anger anymore. It's killing me. I told her, I'll never call you mom because you're not my mom. Mm. Um, But if you would like a relationship, the doors open. She made no effort, but it felt good for me to pour that out.
1: All right. Two things. One, you said, if you want a relationship, I'll have a relationship. That's really interesting. And I want to pull on that thread a little bit. A woman who has done all of these things and denied, allowed, did drop the charges for the man who raped you. And, uh, you know, when CPS came out, she said it's bullshit. And then she beat you up after they left all of this stuff. Why would you still want a relationship with that person? Help me understand. And there's nothing wrong with it. I'm just curious.
3: It's a, it's a grieving for something I wish I had and never had.
1: But it wasn't just grieving. You literally said to her, if you want to have a relationship, I'm open to it. And so what I'm getting at is, what would you get out of having a relationship with your mother? Granted, now she has dementia, but when you did it, what would you have gotten out of it? Why would you even be open to that? Someone abused you, allows others to abuse you, did all this shit. Why? What? Would, what would you hope to get out of it?
3: I wanted to know who she was. And aside from all that, I wanted to know... Who are you? What are you? What are you?
1: Why would you wanna know that? She had already shown you who she was through her actions. What were you hoping to find?
3: That she would feel remorse. And also, am I like you? Am I I anything like you? I don't wanna be a monster too. I, I have to know if there's any similarities between us? Am I feeling things that, that you feel? Or what did you go through that caused you to be the way you are? I wanted her to love me. I wanted to be a friend. I wanted to maybe help her. I I, I know that sounds sick.
1: But. Well, no. And it's it's very consistent with how you've lived your entire life that I'll give to you. And then maybe you'll give me some love back. But what's interesting is I wanted her to feel remorse. I wanted love from her. Yes, I wanted to understand her to find out if I'm that too, which you're not. Do you ever tell uh, in your field, do you ever tell people that in in one way or another that, you know, your boyfriend defines who he is. You want to know who he is? Just look at his actions. Do you ever tell people that your actions sort of define who you are?
3: I tell them, yeah, words without actions to back them up are manipulation. So,
1: Forgive me for asking the obvious question, but... (laughs) To any outside observer, to Rob, to me, to Casey, to all of our listeners, what do your life actions tell us about you? You wanna take a swing at that or do you want me to take a swing at that? I'll let you swing at it. All right, are you fucking kidding me? You're incredible. You've given your life to helping others. You know, you have a good soul. You're extraordinarily strong. When When Rob was reading your story, I was reminded of my father's generation, the World War II generation, born in 1928, went through hell. And the World War I generation, even more so in some respects, the war to end all wars. And these people, they just powered through. Now, granted, they were disconnected from their fucking feelings, but they found the good. And they did good in the world. Did they, you know, were mistakes made, blah, blah, blah. Yes. But man, they found the good, the, the power, the strength of character. And that's you. That's you. There is no person hearing your story that, that, that wouldn't think that. We're watching the movie of your life. I got 100 people in off the street. I'll give you free popcorn and soda and junior mints. We're watching the fucking movie. And I'm sorry. Every single one of us in this theater fucking hates your mother. We're waiting for the piano to fall on her fucking head. I fucking hate her. And no one's ever heard me use this word on this show before but I'm going to use it right now. She's a fucking. Yeah. Fact. Fact. Capital C. Capital C, capital U. (laughs) Exclamation point. We hate her. Yeah. And, and the truth is in stark juxtaposition to that is seven year old, 10 year old, 50 year old, 49 year old Rebecca. That you're, you're the opposite. You may fear that at your core, you are her. And then everyone was right? No, it was bullshit. Let me ask you this. Have you ever heard of, if you're in the mental health field, I know you have a daughter of your own, and you've you have friends who have had kids, and you know, you've been in a birthing room, blah, blah, blah. Have you ever heard of a child? Even heard of one, even if you didn't see it, or have you ever read about a child that came out of the womb bad? No. Wait, even one with 14 toes and six fingers. And, you know, uh, vestigial tail, they aren't bad?
3: No, that's just inbreeding. <laughs> right.
1: That's right. It's a Scandinavian, my people. No, I'm yeah. teasing. Okay.
3: I'm Scandinavian too.
1: Well, God bless you. I knew there was something else I liked about you. <laughs> Clearly you are good. All right. Um, but here we go. So that means you came out of the womb good, just like every child, regardless of yeah. whatever their DNA or whatever. Yeah. Who they are is good. That means somewhere between the womb and right now, you were fed a load of shit. You were fed a motherfucking lie. Yeah. And it was so hammered into you in those impressionable years and hammered into you in so many relationships since. that It's almost at times impossible to not believe it, right?
2: hmm Yeah.
1: Right? But it was never true. Furthermore- Your life that you have lived, despite the mistakes I'm sure you've made and times where you feel like you've hurt people's feelings, and you probably have because we all do, right? Right. Right. Yeah. Despite that, you've lived an extraordinary life, an exemplary life. And yet this lie has created this blackness inside of you. This lie has corrupted your soul. This lie has stolen your happiness. you are stolen your peace. And it was all a lie from the very beginning. So back to the question then, single biggest truth you feel about your mom that you've never said. So you told her you hate her. You told her, you know, all those other things. What's the truth about how you feel that you didn't tell her or that has come up since? And maybe there's nothing and that's okay. But I'm just curious, single biggest truth about how you feel about your mother that you never spoke to your mother.
3: I wish I was never born. I wish I wasn't, you know, like I wish I wasn't uh, her child. I wish I never met her Okay. and I'm not afraid of her anymore and her sitting there with dementia, not knowing anything, not remembering anybody sitting in a home by herself. I feel like that's beautiful and that's sick.
1: Poetic justice.
3: (laughs) Yes. I feel like it's just beautiful. And, um, on one hand, I feel bad for her as a human being to another human being. Sure. The relationship that I have with her. I'm like, yeah, fuck you. You deserve that.
1: Absolutely. And you deserve to th- to feel that and to think that. And no one in my audience would disparage you for that. After knowing your story. Oh, hell no. Yeah. You are absolutely, you have every right to feel that. And let me ask you, have you explored your hate? Have you flushed in your own work beyond what you've wrote and- written in the letter to her? Have you flushed and flushed your own hate?
3: Yes, I'm doing the shadow work journal. That's great. <laughs> shadow, that's the great. shadow stuff. And boy, there's a lot of ugly in
1: there. Um, that's good. But You have
3: to accept those things as part of who you are, right?
1: Amen. And so much of it isn't even who I am so much as in response to what was done to me. In other words, yes, it is who I am, but it's not my essence per se. Yeah. I think, yeah, yeah. Okay. And just out of curiosity then, assuming your mom were, were coherent, she's not, but let's pretend. Assuming your mom were coherent- What is the single biggest truth, has to be true, that you could speak that would hurt her the very most? If it were your desire to drive a dagger into her heart and twist it with maximum impact, not what would feel the best for you to say, what would hurt her the most to hear? What is it?
3: I am Princess Rebecca. I am better than you. You're nothing.
1: Mm. Wow. And why would that hurt her so much?
3: Because she used to always look at me, and say, you're no better than I am. Who do you think you are, Princess Diana? Mm. And I would just be sitting there playing with my Barbies, you know, and I'd I'd look up at her across the room. I didn't know her when when they first brought me back to her Mm -hmm. from foster care. I didn't know her. And my foster family was, you know, in in childhood, they were loving. Mm -hmm. They were classy. Mm. Real estate, Mercedes Benz, all these things spoiled me. I had beautiful clothes, mm. long tails. I was well taken care of. Mm. Loved. Mm. Felt loved. Beautiful. Um, and then when I was sent with her, she sold all of my stuff in a yard sale, chopped my hair off, bought me a pair of shoes. I remember the, the insoles were black and stinky. You know, they'd been worn from a yard sale. And she was pissed off because I didn't like my new shoes. Mm. I was like, oh. <laughs> I, was like, I would just be sitting there and I would be looking at her like, curious kid like is that really I felt like she she gave birth to half of me my foster mom gave birth to half of me and then they stitched me up in the hospital Mm. that was in her brain when I was a little kid but I would just be staring at her and she would catch me looking at her and she would say what do you think you're better than me and I'd be like I just put my head down and she'd say, you're not Princess Diana. You think you're Princess Diana. You're no better than me. Mm -hmm. You're no better than anyone. And the other adults would be like, geez, take it easy. (laughs) She's a kid. Maybe you can read me like a book with my facial expressions, you know, especially my eyes. I don't know. But uh, maybe she felt like I was judging her when I was staring at her.
1: Or maybe she just innately always felt judged whether from the men in her life or her own mother or father, whatever. And that, I mean, I mean, realistically, it had nothing to do with you. Realistically, it was, this was a person with a fuck ton of problems and a whole lot of hate inside of her. I mean, I don't, you know, I don't know what it's like growing up a woman, but growing up as a young boy, especially in the 60s and 70s, it's just like, worst thing you can do is you know, be mean to a child, be mean to an old person, be mean to a disabled person. It's like, what kind of small person does that? What kind of piece of shit does that? And that's exactly what she was doing. She was picking on a child. That's just a piece of shit. And what's interesting is, but the child says, it must be me. It must be something because of me. And if mom's saying it, this person I love so much and whose love I want, the problem must be me. Yeah. We'll be right back with more Badass Counseling right after this.
0: You've heard Sven talk a lot about his book, There's a Hole in My Love Cup. And that's because Sven hears from his followers a lot about how much the book has helped them. If you're not sure how to handle the issues getting in the way of a better life, you're not alone. And you have a lot of choices. But thousands of readers will tell you that this is a great place to start, by yourself and at your own pace. So go to badasscounseling.com and order There's a Hole in My Love Cup, and you'll have Sven right there with you as you forge your best future. It's totally badass. So get started today. Now back to more badass counseling with Sven.
1: And I am back with Rebecca. So Rebecca, then I have a fourth question in that sequence and I wanna ask you the question, I asked you the single biggest truth about your mother that you never told her. And that is, the biggest one was you're evil. Then I asked you the single biggest truth you feel about your mom. And basically you had said, I wish I wasn't her child and I'm not afraid of her anymore. Then I asked, what is the single biggest truth you could speak that would hurt her the very most? You said, I am Princess Rebecca. I am better than you. And then the last question I want to ask is the single biggest thing. So now this doesn't even have to be true if you don't want it to be. It's totally up to you. What is the single biggest thing you most want to say to your mother right now?
3: I want you to heal. I wish you healing. I hope you don't go to hell. Is that sick?
1: I don't I feel empathy. No, that's it's not sick. Please don't put yourself down on my show. Um okay. I want you to heal. Let me ask you, if she heals, what do you get out of it? What's in it for you? Nothing. Oh, come on now. Come on. What's in it? Because earlier you had said. You wanted your mom to feel remorse. You wanted your mom to love you, right? How long ago was that that you gave that to her? Mm, That was about 18 years ago. So about 18 years ago, you were wanting her remorse. You were wanting her love still. Yeah. Despite all these attacks, you were wanting that still. And so is it possible when I ask you now, the single biggest thing you most want to say to your mother now, and you say, I want you to heal. Is it possible that the reason you want her to heal is because you're hoping that you two can then have a relationship. And from that relationship, you could get the very remorse or the very love you've been wanting. The love, the love. So here we are at almost 50 years old, and you're still wanting your mom to love you. Yeah. What does it feel like to say that, to hear that, to think that?
3: It feels uh, wrong.
1: Okay. And and wrong as in I shouldn't or wrong as in I really don't want that or wrong as in what?
3: As in I shouldn't. There's that dichotomy. I hate her. It's confusing.
1: (laughs) No, 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 no. Actually, it's quite clear. That's how powerful, how powerful. When I write in my book, children love parents more than parents love children. And when I tell that to people they are like people who have kids, they're like, that's just the fucking dumbest thing I've ever heard. (laughs) I mean, even you with your daughter, you can't even imagine your daughter loving you more than you love her. But I invert it. And I say a parent will do far more at the hands of a child than the child would ever do at the hands of a parent. So it's not just the feelings of love. It's what you're willing to do, not just for the love, but the pain you're willing to inflict. And the mere fact that she's inflicted all this pain and you still want her love. Yeah. You still long for her to pour into your love cup, right? Mm-hmm. And 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 you said, and I know that's wrong. Earlier, you called it yourself sick and, and things like this let me ask you if you were working with someone in your field and someone said, you know, I, I, my mom, my dad was horrible and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And and detailed all the things and he would beat me with a wrench and all this shit always undermine my successes. And, and, but now Sven, I'm 38 and I, you know, I hate to say it, or I'm now Rebecca, I'm 38. And you know, I, I, I hate to say it, but I still long for the old man's approval. And I, I hate myself for wanting it. What Would you tell him that he's wrong for feeling that, for wanting that? Would you tell him he's wrong?
3: No, I would tell him he's wrong for hating himself, for wanting it.
1: There you go. That's right. It's okay. And, and so let me ask you, just out of curiosity, in all of the journaling work and the self-work, the 50% of the shit in your life that you have addressed, how much have you gone into the love and the longing for your mother, for your mother's love, for your father, for your father's return.
3: My my biological father did not want me. I met him three times and I have three sisters, three half sisters from him. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was told that when I was put in foster care, they offered to let me go with him. And he said, no keeper. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I met him, he was a pervert and an idiot. Yeah. And I swear I'm not from his loins, <laughs> uh, but he... He, no relationship there.
1: Fair enough. Uh, In the case of your mother, how much in your self-work have you gone into, not just the anger and the sadness and the rage, but the love and the longing? Because here we are at 49, or at least 18 years ago at 21, but potentially still here at 49, still longing for that love. How much in your self-work have you gone into and allowed yourself to feel all of the feelings of love and longing for your mother?
3: Uh, If I gave it a percentage, I would say...
1: Maybe 60%. 60%. So that implies there's still 40% there. Yeah. And in that 40% of all your deep feelings of love and longing for your mother to heal, you just said, I asked you, single biggest thing you want to say to your mother now, right now, you said, I hope you heal. I don't want you to go to hell. I want you to heal. And I said, well, why? Then we talked about relationship. Then maybe you could finally get that love. So at 49, you're still wanting it. In that 40% and longing for your mother that you have not expressed, or not gone into what in it in one sentence or less is the whopper is the real nugget that you most don't want to touch on the love side, not the hate side, not the black void side, but on the love and longing side, what is the piece you're most afraid of or don't want to touch and have avoided that 40% of love and longing for your mom in your self work.
3: And in spite of everything, I do love her. And if she were coherent, I would grab her face and say, I fucking love you. Even though in spite of whatever, I love you. I do. And I want you to love me back and I hope you heal. And I love you. You're my mom. Thanks for bringing me into the world. Um, and I hate you,
1: <laughs> but I love you. Um, that's such a weird feeling. Is that okay? To love someone who has done something extraordinarily horrific. To simultaneously love this person and hate this person. Is that okay? Yes. Exactly. It's it's so okay. It's good. And I'm going to tell you why it's good. Because it's you who gives a shit what anybody else would think. And you know what? Everybody in the movie theater watching the movie of your life with me and saying, we can understand that because we're still seeing the filmmaker, the Steven Spielberg who made the movie of your life. He didn't only get the action shots, he got the reaction shots. He didn't just show all the heinous stuff the mom was doing, but showed us the child's reaction. So we're looking at that five-year-old, that eight-year-old, dejected, heart ripped out, 10-year-old, heart ripped out. And the desire, just love me, just be nice to me, mommy. Just be nice to me. The longing. And we totally understand your tears now. We hate your mom too, but we understand that little girl's longing. And every single one of us in this theater has circled around you and said, ain't nobody gonna touch you now, kiddo. We got you. We got you. There's nothing of all those feelings inside, in the dark hole and in the love and all that, there is nothing that you can be blamed for, nothing that is wrong. There was never anything wrong with you. And it is that dark hole, and it is that expression of the love, and it is the going into all those feelings. That is the salvation. That is the self salvation. And I know it's scary. Let me ask you this, just out of curiosity: you would most want to sh- grab her by the face and sort of shake her and say, "I love you," and "I hate you," and you you sort of said, and I it sort of feels weird. Say more about that.
3: It's awkward to be in the center of that dichotomy. <laughs>
1: And say more about the awkward. Help us understand that dichotomy. Teach us, please. Oh,
3: it's, kind it's all of- right. Let
1: let the tears come. <laughs> tears are good. Let the tears come.
3: Being being in that awkward state of that dichotomy. It's it's a uh, it's kind of like buying a really hideous pair of bell bottom plaid multicolored hideous pants that you feel they're so ugly they're cute and the world's gonna go blah when they see you in them but you're like awkwardly prancing around it I'm like I'll go ahead and just rock these
1: <laughs> I love it I love it and just for the record that's the shit that free people sells and it's actually really cool shit <laughs> retro 70s is totally in man um, but I know I get your point that's really interesting I love it but what are others thinking? Am I being judged? And I love your words, awkwardly prancing around yeah. awkwardly in the prancing. What an odd word choice. <laughs> prance. We prance. You didn't say just say walking or slogging. You just said prancing, which is a dance of sort. It's a dance sort of step. Yeah. There's a delight. There's a joy in wearing these plaid bell bottoms
3: You know, from making fun of myself,
1: like, look at
3: me, look what I can do.
1: (laughs) Yes. Yeah. And and odd making fun of myself and yet delighting in it and not giving a shit what others are thinking. or maybe a little bit, the awkward side, but well, that's what it is. Yeah. That's, that's what authenticity is. It's the courage to be, to be the plaid bell bottoms that I am. (laughs) Even though, and see, and see, the thing is, is you were taught that, You're bad. Everything about you is bad and hideous and so on and so forth. And so let me ask you this question because I'll tell you what our audience sees and Rob and K.C. see, I know what we all see. But if you were to be totally honest, if you were to be totally honest, what percent of you do you genuinely like?
3: Probably 70% of myself I do like. I feel like I'm a good person. I feel like. I feel like I live with integrity most of the time. I feel like I've turned my, my trauma and all the shit. I feel like I've turned it around and turned the shit into glitter. And I'm throwing that glitter on people. I feel like that's a good thing.
1: I think every one of us here would agree with you. All right. So let me ask you this in the 30%. What is this in the 30% that you don't like? And just for the record, 70% liking yourself. That's a pretty good number. I think a lot of us, on any given day, or even on an average would say, yeah, there's about 30% of myself I don't like. Yeah, I drink too much, or yeah, you know, I have a foul mouth, or yeah, you know, I piss people off, or yeah, you know, I I tend to hurt people, even though I don't want to, whatever it is, 30%, 70%, liking yourself, that's a pretty fucking good number. And I guarantee you've worked with people, and I've worked with people, where that number is like 5%, what they like about themselves. Just out of curiosity, though, of the 30% that you don't like about yourself, what's the whopper?
3: That I'm hideous. That I'm a monster. That I'm unlovable. I'm unfuckable. I am <laughs> dirty. I'm garbage. I'm white trash. I think that would encompass all of those things. Mm. You know. But then there's that dichotomy again. Mm. What's wrong with white trash? There's some of the nicest people you'll ever meet. You know, some of
1: them. Absolutely. And very fuckable and very lovable, you know, in their own way. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you put it out there, so let's just run with it. Absolutely. (laughs) Okay. Let me ask you, when you were 10, were you a hideous, unlovable monster? No,
3: I was adorable.
1: (laughs) Exactly. I was cute. I'm sure. And adorable inside and out, more importantly.
3: Yes.
1: Right and and yet those messages got pressed into the wet cement of your soul hardened and they still are bleeding 30% of your life today yes. dumb question are you okay with that
3: no <laughs> right i
1: hate and what do you think it what do you think it would take for you to extract that 30% white trash unfuckable unlovable monster hideous
3: <laughs> i have to jump in that dark darkness i have to jump in there and work it And
1: And specifically how, what ultimately would you have to do? Give me a, be as granular as you can.
3: Stop allowing other people's treatment of me to be something that I base my self-worth and behaviors on Um, because it's ridiculous. And I know that, and I teach people that I do. Sure. Uh, But it's like when you're emotionally flooded with your own shit, your logic just takes a fucking nap and that's right when somebody rejects you rejection is my uh kryptonite you know when somebody mm-hmm. rejects you it's mm-hmm. like especially when it's somebody who I don't know you say that guy's ugly as hell and he rejected me can you believe it uh, right you know
1: well and, and and also on the self side it's much easier to be rejected for being a sol- a, a false version of myself. Than it is if I were to be my actual authentic self yes. and then be rejected, that would hurt too much. But the truth is this, the rock bottom truth of life is whether you're being your fake self or your authentic self, you're going to be rejected in life. Fact, mm-hmm. you know, it. Yeah. you're going to, you're going to be rejected 20 more times or 40 or two or whatever. I'm going to be rejected. I get people rejecting me all the time. You're an idiot. You're cussing mouth. Your mother would blah, blah, <laughs> blah, you know, or yeah. you're fucking dumb. All that. Right. Right. And it hurts, you know, when we are still wanting everyone's approval. Mm -hmm. But in the end, you got to ask yourself, well, if I'm going to be rejected, if I'm going to be cussed out or whatever, would I rather do it being my authentic self or, man, if the inauthentic self? Well, it's like, well, it hurts more when I'm my authentic self, but at least I'm going to live my fucking life my way. I want to ask you this question, and that is, You've got a 50-year pattern of behavior on the part of your mother that you're never going to get the approval and the love that you've always wanted. At what point do you let go of ever doing that and finally just be yourself? Finally just love yourself by being yourself, by awkwardly prancing around as your own authentic self. When do you finally let go? And the tragedy of I'll never get that love, that parental mom love, I'll never get that, and grieve that but simultaneously the liberation that finally I can live my life for me free of that longing. Because what keeps you locked into hideous, monster, unlovable, unfuckable, white trash belief system, what keeps that black void inside of you is the you hold on to the beliefs where you were taught because you hold on to the person who taught them to you because you still want something else. You still want the counter message. You still want the antidote. Mm-hmm. And the antidote really, is to let go of the person and to let go of ever wanting it. You have a 50-year pattern of behavior that is never going to change, especially since she has dementia. And at some point, you have to let, you don't have to, but you got to let go of ever getting that or ever even wanting that anymore from your mom. Grieve that you're never going to have that. And that is the liberation. And that's when you begin to give it to yourself by no longer trying to buy love by give, 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 give me a little bit in return, or no longer allowing poor treatment. And the second that poor treatment comes from someone else, you respect yourself enough and love yourself enough to say, hey, you know what? I'm sure you're a great guy, I gotta let you go. And let me ask you, what ultimately is it that you need to do to finally have the courage to go into the black hole and address all the feelings of love and to finally let go of your mom? What ultimately does it boil down to in one sentence or less? to finally do that work.
3: I think I will need extra support from a therapist. And I would also need some sort of assurance in my own brain that this is not going to send you over the edge. You're going to be okay. You've come so close to the edge going in there will not ruin you. It's going to be okay. That's right. You won't turn into your serial killer, honey. It's going to be okay. Um, Yep. Yeah.
1: And, and and I can tell you from personal experience, having brought myself out, I didn't have a therapist, I didn't, and I had to do it myself. Having brought myself out there, having gone into that dark hole, the cave, and gone into it, that the further in I go, the greater the sense of liberation, and a momentum develops. It's like when you you know you've you, you've been going to the gym for a week or two weeks, and you you see your first little bicep, and it's like, oh. I like that. And then you go some more, and then you go some more. And a Momentum develops. But yeah, ultimately, it's that courage. And I'm going to tell you for absolute fact, you're not going to become a serial killer. The people who go into the cave to heal and are constantly flushing and are deliberate about it become the happier ones. Become finally at peace. You will find your sense of peace in your soul will increase. Your sense of exuberance for life will increase. And what will happen is your authentic self will begin to bubble up. It's not who am I, what you're, that's not the real question. It's in you. It'll effortlessly bubble up. Your only task is to get all the crud that's keeping who you are packed down. So I have one final question for you. And it's simply this, what's going on inside of you right now?
3: (laughs) Uh, The butterflies are calming down. (laughs) Mm. It felt good to get some of those tears out. Uh, Mm. I feel hopeful. I, I just, I have this intrinsic Pollyanna attitude, no matter what happens, mm. you know, I feel hopeful.
1: And 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 I will say it's not from personal experience, from professional experience, it's not Pollyanna. This is where the healing is. And because of you in your work, you know, this is where the healing is, yeah. but it's also how extraordinarily what a wonderful teacher and what a wonderful gift you'll be for the people that you work with to be able to finally say, I had the courage to go into it. Cause now it, when you're encouraging them and holding their hand through it, it's not just the words. Now it's like real. Mm -hmm. It's real. I have been where you are and I know it's scary and I got you. Yeah. And I would encourage you, Rebecca, for your own soul, for your own safety, for your own happiness, it's time to finally let go of ever getting the love from mom. It's time to let go of these BS beliefs you've been taught about yourself, that you're a hideous, unlovable, unfuckable, (laughs) white trash monster. (laughs) and 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 i love that and, <laughs> and it's time <laughs> rawr, and it's time to flush and flush and flush until finally that prancer is out and is no longer awkward and loves delights in her oddities in her differentness in the spirit of the uniqueness of who you are and on behalf of everyone in this movie theater thank you for showing us the movie of your life and i can tell you we're all in awe of you we are. Thank you. And and you are right. People show us who they are through their actions and their words and everything, but especially their actions. And recognizing that's true, we're all in love with you. We all think you're truly a wonderful, warm, wonderful gift to life. You are. Thank you. And the only problem, the only problem left is that you don't quite fully believe it yet, but we believe you're definitely moving in that direction. And we're all cheering for you, Rebecca.
3: Thank you. I appreciate it.
1: You bet. Thank you for coming on the show and to everyone who's been listening. I thank you on behalf of Rob and Casey to our friends in Houston and our friends in Los Angeles and in Northern Idaho and Saskatchewan and around the world. Thank you for tuning in to the Badass Counseling Show. Have a kick ass
2: day.
0: The Badass Counseling Show is strictly copyrighted. No copies may be made without the express written consent of the Badass Counseling Show, LLC. The Badass Counseling Show is produced by Karen Camparelli and Robert H. Friedman. Executive producer, Sven Erlinson. Original music by two-time Emmy Award-winning composer, Trevor Morris. Have a kick-ass day.